Now, for many of you, you probably know that uh, I was called to ministry right at about 18 years old. I remember the experience. I remember the occasion. I was in my own devotions reading Matthew 28, the Great Commission passage. And I really sensed it a call in my life, but I didn't fully understand it for a couple of years. But I, I want you to know that, well, you might know, I was 30 years old before I began to actually pastor in ministry. I mean, I ministered, not being paid. I did youth sponsoring. I worked on missions teams. I, I did all sorts of different things. Children's church, Sunday school, junior high. I did all sorts of things in the church, so I was still a minister. I was still called to ministry, but I never actually began to pastor a church till 30. And I want you to know in those 12 years, in retrospect, I don't know all the reasons behind it, but normally it takes four years to become a pastor. But in retrospect, I, I lived through the 1982 recession. I had no money to go to school. In retrospect, I wasn't really super mature, especially in the Lord, because I'd only seriously uh, come to faith when I was about 16. So for me to jump into a church at 22, knowing what I know now, I believe it may have destroyed me. And God had a plan for my life, and it happened in adversity. I was laid off six times in those 12 years. And it wasn't easy. I, at points, even with a little boy, firstborn at home, I couldn't even afford food for my family. But I want to tell you, adversity creates character. And we need to grow in the things of the Lord. We need to understand this process. We need to understand what and why God is doing things. And even if it's something from Satan, as in the case of Job, or even if God is orchestrating something to grow and mature you and expand his kingdom, then we need to get our heads around that. So turn in your Bibles right now to uh, uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. Get ready there. Uh, one, one of my friends said it well when he was in adversity. He said to me, in all honesty... I grow best in character when I have tough things happening. In all honesty, I grow best in character when I have tough things happening. So let's look at the life of Abraham. Now, I mean Abraham, of Joseph. Boy, I'm getting mixed up. That was last week. Get your head this week, Anthony. The life of Joseph. Joseph was the great, great grandson of Abraham, the founder of Israel. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Joseph was part of the family where his grandfather was Isaac, who was almost sacrificed by Jacob. You know, the Jacob and Esau birthright controversy that came about. And so Jacob was the father, and Rachel was his mother. Uh, remember the whole thing about Rachel and Leah and all the controversy that happened there? But I want to say that the family that Joseph grew up in was an honest and good family. They loved the Lord. And so Joseph was raised to serve the Lord and to trust the Lord. And it's a good thing because he had a journey to go through in order to bring about God's kingdom purposes. If you were to read every word of Joseph's story, you honestly, I hope, would notice that he actually was honest and had a high moral standard. Now that doesn't mean when he was young, he wasn't, and he was, 
a spoiled, rotten brat. Let's read this story in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 2. <clears throat> this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending his flocks or tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bela and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Seeing some character stuff. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, Joseph had a dream. That, remember when we were going through hearing God, sometimes you keep stuff to yourself? Because honestly, people probably wouldn't believe it. It's going to make you look a little silly. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. I can almost see the glee in his voice. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheave rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Do you think this maybe incited his brothers a little bit? Verse 8, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated them all the more. I don't know how many times it's said that now, but it's quite a bit. They hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as you understand the representation of the stars, when he told his father, as well as his brother, his father, even his father started to see this kind of spoiled arrogance in him. And his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. I want to start to point out, we're going to jump through Genesis now, but I want to show you some grow points for Joseph. And we often over or underestimate these grow points in our own lives. In fact, we go, why would God put, or why would this be anything good? I, I can't see any good coming out of this, but there's going to be a few grow points for Joseph. Grow point number one that we're going to see is how Joseph is initially left for dead, but instead of dying and being killed. He sold to slavery to Egyptians. Verse 12, now his brothers had gone to graze their flocks near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Remember last time he brought a bad report back? Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron, when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? Oh, they have moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them... <laughs> Listen to this. And before they reached him, they plotted 
to kill him. Here comes a dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that ferocious animals devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, they said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. Remember the ornate robe he was wearing? And they took him and threw him in a cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Now here it comes, verse 25. God steps in a little bit more. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming to Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Now, if we were to keep reading in this story, after they confer a little bit with each other, they decide to sell them to these traveling caravans, which eventually take them to Egypt. They fabricate the story that they had already talked about to tell dear old dad that his precious Joseph was killed by vicious animals. They took the coat of many colors, some translations say, and they dipped it in blood and they said, see, he's dead. But in the meantime, Joseph is off to Egypt to an incredible journey. Now from Joseph's perspective, yes, he's been rescued from death, but now he's headed to be a slave in Egypt. And I don't know if you know what it would feel like to go from the favored son to being a slave. I, I, you know, we, we glorify or we kind of saintize these stories, but, but, but I can't imagine what he was feeling. So grow point number two, Joseph thrives Joseph thrives in adversity. Joseph rises to the top in adversity and he becomes the household manager. Listen to Genesis chapter 39, starting at verse one. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, Potiphar, you know that story, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered <coughs> and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, put him in charge of his household, the entire thing, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put in charge, he was put in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house in the field and the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Honestly, I think for most of us, if we had been sold into slavery, we would have done what we had to do. We wouldn't have looked at thriving. We wouldn't have looked at seeing, can, can God turn this into something good? I told a story recently of a guy at my last church. 
At 60, he went bankrupt. Now, he had quite a large business, I believe 30 or 50 employees. And uh, it just suddenly happened. Uh, he had expanded a building. The economy had turned down. Uh, and he ended up going bankrupt, lost everything. Now, this guy, he could have given up. Uh, but he went on. And he said, I'm going to see what God wants to do. And so he began making equipment for uh, quizzing, Bible quizzing. And from there, he began some other little side businesses. And when he was about 68, his wife pulled him aside and said, I need you to know something, honey. You have a million dollars in savings in your bank. I mean, this guy got so excited. Uh, he couldn't wait. He went on a missions trip, and I happened to be with him. And he saw in South America how pastors were paid so poorly. And he wanted to start earning money and giving it to pastors. And in the end, as he sought the Lord, he decided, what I need to do is give employment to the Christians in the churches. So he began using some creative methods in employing people in South America, now he's in Africa, to employ Christians so that they can tithe to the local church and the pastor can get paid. He didn't let his bankruptcy at 60 keep him down. He began to say, okay, God, what can I do? I'll start off small. I'll start doing something that really blesses the church, and we'll see where it goes. As I told this story to somebody, they said, oh, I could never be like that. I mean, some people, they can go bankrupt, they can turn it around, and they can just make money. Well, I can tell you, this guy was a human being just like you and I. And yet he began to trust the Lord in all that he did, even though he went through a real difficult experience. And I can tell you, it sure made him careful and cautious, but he still expanded. I saw how the Lord's hand was on him and blessed him. So grow point number three. Joseph is accused of attacking Potiphar's wife, and he's sent to prison. Now, he's risen to the top. He, he's now again at the, the pinnacle of success. I mean, it was just incredible. I mean, he's a slave, and now he's in charge of a whole household. And then Potiphar's wife, listen to the text, starting in verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. See the character? See the godly sort of instilled character that he had? But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. Friends, Joseph is a man of character, and he resists. However, if we were to read on in the story, we would discover that Potiphar's wife is not pleased of this rejection. And she cooks up a story. She takes his cloak, and she makes it look like Joseph tried to get her, to rape her. Well, when Potiphar is told, it doesn't go well. Listen to verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. But here's the God story. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. You see, God is always at work, even in mishap, even in bad things, even in the worst of things. So grow point number four. Joseph, listen to this, thrives in prison. He thrived as a slave. Now he's going to thrive in prison. Listen to the verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, 
the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden, here it goes again, put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention, sound familiar, to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. It's interesting, this week I had lunch with somebody from the church and they were telling me the story about their dad. How when their dad was in his 70s, he came up with this dream to start a university in Mexico. And now, after 10 years, the university has started. He's in his mid or late 80s, and he's got another 10-year plan. And this guy, as he's telling me, he's going, man, I don't know, is, is he going to last and live that long? Is he going to live, live into the mid-90s? He goes, I don't know, but, but it's sure as an example to me that I need to always be asking the Lord, what's my next step? What's my next journey? So go point number five. Joseph gets a chance. Remember where he is? He's with the king's prisoners. Joseph gets to interpret a dream of Pharaoh, the head of Egypt. You see God orchestrating this? Genesis 40, verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And basically, long story short, and I can't go through all the details of the story, and it is so incredible, but, but long story short, one of them ends up getting killed by the king, and one ends up getting elevated back into his old position. And Joseph, when he's telling them the interpretation, says, remember me. When things happen the way God has told me they are, don't forget me. But two years pass. Two years pass. Nothing happens. Even though the cupbearer is now beside the king on the right. Listen in verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. And uh, in other words, Joseph comes along and he interprets uh, Pharaoh's dream now uh, because eventually after two years, Pharaoh has this dream. And in Pharaoh's dream, it is perplexing and he goes to get interpretations. Nobody can interpret it. And the word gets out and Pharaoh's frustrated. And the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, yeah, right, right. There was this guy, Joseph. And he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh brings Joseph in. Joseph, by God's power, interprets the dream of Pharaoh. And it's a dream that describes a seven-year famine coming. And Joseph begins to lay out, well, why don't you do this and do that and set out a plan? And then you would be able to weather this famine. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Joseph and to all the officials. Verse 38, so Joseph asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? You see what God can do in your hardships? 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph, friends, is put in charge of everything in Egypt. Remember spoiled Joseph? Think about these growth points where God is humbling him, raising him up, humbling him, raising him up. Listen to how Joseph changed in the very kind of tail end of this story in Genesis. So a famine does begin in the land. And not just in Egypt, but all over, even in uh, the nation of Israel, where they were. Well, it wasn't quite Israel yet then, but where the brothers were. And uh, they need to come to Egypt to buy some food because that's kind of the plan that Joseph set up. We'll, we'll bank up all this food and then people from Israel or Egypt and all around, they'll come and buy food from us. Listen, and this is a good point to remember, a changed man in Joseph meets his brothers and his brothers are bowing down to him. Listen to his actions though now. Verse, chapter 45 in Genesis, verses 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Now, there's a whole bunch of story before this, and I'm skipping it all over, and it's really good stuff, but I wanted to get to this point. Verse 2, And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. This is a changed man, people. Joseph said to his brothers, they don't know yet, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Brothers, brothers were not able to answer him because they were so terrified at his presence. Can you imagine? I mean, Egypt, Egypt has a reputation. Joseph probably has a reputation. And they're before the second in command, just trying to get a little bit of food. And they come before him and he identifies himself. And this is a guy that they sold into slavery. Can you believe it? Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Did you hear that? What an attitude he had. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What an attitude. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And that's jumping down to verse 8. But God... But God, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I will provide for you there, here, there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourself, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. 
Tell my father about the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Friends, God doesn't waste anything you're going through, not one illness, not one death that's happened around you. God is in the business of redeeming everything. He's in the resurrection business and God's kingdom will advance. Your heart will grow and you just need to lean into him. Genesis 50 verse 15, it kind of is the very closing, closing scene of everything. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, now they're back home or they're back with their family, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to them? Now, they're thinking the only reason Joseph's being nice is just because of daddy. So he sent, they sent word to Joseph saying, it's a lie, by the way, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. I mean, he thought he'd made up with them. He thought things were clear between them, but they were still terrified. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, and this I want you to have stuck in your head all this week. Don't be afraid. I am I in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The saving of many lives. Years ago, and I'll close with just these two quick stories. I became chairman of Lusland Bible Camp. Now this is eons ago, 14, 15 years ago. It was a little Bible camp in a field in the middle of Saskatchewan flatland. And the Bible camp at that point, they had decided they were going to shut it down. And I just had this feeling that wasn't to be what should happen. So for two years, I was chairman. And in those two years, I, I built up the support. I, I helped fix some bad habits by the counselors that happened every summer. They kind of were there for them and not for the kids. Worked on that. We, we focused on why the camp existed and kind of what they were supposed to be doing. And then I left after two years. I barely had any input. I, I did keep the camp going. I, I'm glad to say, I mean, they probably don't even remember my name. They probably don't even know that for two years I kind of helped them through muddy waters. But that camp today is thriving. And they've built new buildings. They've expanded their programs. They're seeing more and more souls come to Christ. And I go, wow, that's incredible. Two years. And it's all because of Jesus. Now, there's a whole bunch of stories of the church I was in. And it was a beautiful church, but we didn't get paid a lot. And yeah, there was some difficult times, but, but you know, I always said, God, what can I do? How can I thrive where I'm at? Even though I might be in a small town and in a small church, how can I thrive? And God gave me that opportunity to thrive. And I'm just saying, when you ask God the questions, when you let God lead you, even in difficult circumstances, in hard places, God will do incredible things through you. Oh, have I told you about my first church in Tumblr Ridge? Uh, each fall in four years that I was there, we would build the church up through the whole winter to about 70, 80 attendants. 
and then everybody would move away in the summer and I'd have 20 people in the fall. And after about two years of this, in fact, none of them had been Christians except for one or two for more than a year or two. So every fall we'd be planting a new church. It was exhausting. It was tiring. It was difficult. Uh, two of my children had to be driven to Vancouver for medical care. I was in a plane crash. My wife became depressed. And after I left, after four years, the church shut down six months later. Do I have an answer for any of that? I do, actually. Over 100 adults came to believing faith in Christ in my time there. I mean, I didn't necessarily lead them all to the Lord. People in the church did. But that church had not ever experienced that kind of evangelism then or since. In fact, the people from that church moved over to the Baptist church and they began to experience evangelism and people coming to Christ. And what do you think happened to me? I grew in character like you can't imagine. Just like that 12 years of going through Bible college, uh, my first church, I needed to go through those difficult times. And whether they were orchestrated by Satan, the book of Job, or, or whether God allowed them and even orchestrated some of them himself, God loves me. His character is pure and true. And he cares desperately for my soul and my personality. And he does want me to thrive and he wants you to thrive in adversity. I'll be honest, I haven't always processed hardship well. But the bulk of who I am is honestly due to the lessons that I've learned in adversity, that I've learned in hardship. So here's the conclusion. Nothing, nothing is wasted by God that you're going through. And everything for your growth, for the kingdom of God, for the people around you, God will turn it into blessing. He'll, he'll turn it into thriving. And honestly, God is growing you. God is growing me to expand his kingdom. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. And I know there's people out there. There's some that are just doing fine. I know they haven't lost their jobs. Their income's been okay. But I know there's a large percentage of people in Grand Prairie that they are going through deep, hard waters. Oh God, would you help them to thrive in this time? Holy Spirit, on this Pentecost Sunday, would you fill people up and give them understanding? Help people to ask you, God, how can I thrive in this adversity? How can I grow in this time of difficulty? How can your kingdom expand even though things are going so rough for me? God, even bankruptcy, even death, even death, the scripture says, has no longer a sting to it. Oh God, let us be people of faith, people of courage, people that thrive in adversity, not because we're strong because we're not, not because we have the intelligence because we don't, but because your Holy Spirit is in us and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so like Joseph's brothers, we bow down and we say, oh God, have mercy on me. Forgive me for my attitudes. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my frustration. Would you, God, help me to thrive? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit, even through this? May I have a peace that passeth all understanding. Oh God, blanket, pour out, <laughs> By the power of your Holy Spirit, peace surpass the understanding in everybody right now. And God, even in this COVID-19 low oil price time, oh God, would you work in us and be with us 
and let us see that this is going to be for the good, for we know that all things work together for good for those that love God. And we also know that God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.